You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. This is episode 24. In this episode, Geis and I broadcast from the NJECC conference in Montclair, New Jersey, as we talk about some of our experiences and our favorite segments from the day. We also touch on something called a genius hour for teachers that want to open the door to creativity and exploration in their classrooms. back episode 24 and something's a little different this time yeah episode 24 is a, a good one for for us because it's our first live on location podcast episode which is pretty exciting we just got some new equipment that allows us to pretty easily take some of our recording gear microphones really to anywhere we want to and today we're doing that from a edtech conference in upstate new jersey at montclair state university i believe it's officially called the njecc annual conference so it's exciting to be here it was pretty cool i mean traditionally I, i've seen other podcasters at these conferences plop their stuff down in the middle of a big cafeteria but the lunch is not actually in a cafeteria pick up your lunch at a buffet or if you're a presenter you get a box lunch and then you just hang out in the hallways and there's plenty of side areas that you could sit at and spark up conversations but the only thing is is there's no power there so we had to punt a little bit and we decided to take this into an empty classroom at least for the next 25 minutes. Right. So we're off in a side classroom here at the NJECC, and we just thought we'd start off by talking a little bit about our, our day so far. And, and besides the, the traffic to get up here, which was horrible, uh, it's been an awesome conference so far. I would highly, this is our first time at NJECC, but I would highly recommend this to anybody. Their theme, of course, is EdTech, uh, which which fits in great with uh, God Tech the podcast and the kind of stuff that we like to talk about. Earlier in the day, uh, we presented our own session on one of our favorite things, of course, that being the uh, escape the rooms. We did sort of like a combination physical escape the room, digital escape the room session, just to kind of let attendees know what it's all about and really give them some ideas for how to implement this in their in their own classrooms. Yeah, what was really cool about this is we decided to take our digital escape the rooms and blend it with our physical escape the rooms, but leaving all the good parts in. What I mean by that is for the digital escape the rooms, they still have the online piece and they still have to fill out the form, but the physical escape the rooms, they're still actually manipulating things. So half of the clues were digital, the other half were physical, where they can use their hands and manipulate clues. But we eliminated the need for locks, which are very expensive, and boxes, which are very expensive. Yeah, and I think it went it went pretty well. Uh, people got some really good ideas out of it. I hope our feedback was definitely positive. One of my favorite parts about doing stuff like this is, of course, talking to people that attend your sessions and just around generally. And somebody brought something up earlier to me after our session, guys. I'm not sure if you heard a woman afterwards said that she would love to do an escape the room with her class but after having the students do a room escape that she designs 
She would like to then see her class design their own escape the room and have either each other kind of walk through or work through their own designed challenges, their own designed puzzles, or I think her actual grade level was sixth graders. She was thinking her sixth grade class could design some room escape puzzles for a lower, like maybe the third or fourth grade classes and have them work through it, which is such an obvious thing to do, but it's something I haven't thought about before. And it sounds like a really cool way to use some of the escape room challenges that we came up with. I have had this experience a couple of times. One was last year with a Latin four class. They made an escape the room for a Latin one class. Now, one thing I will tell you from experience is that that Latin four class made the clues and the puzzles so challenging, more so than what, you know, out of all the ones that I've created, that one was the most challenging. That doesn't surprise me. I knew how they were doing it, and I was still finding myself being challenged to complete the task. Well, that's like, uh, it kind of reminds me of, most teachers have done this, but the whole thing where you have your class design the test questions, and the kids get to submit what the test questions are, those are almost always the hardest tests, because they, they, for some reason, they... I guess it's good. They try and make it as challenging as possible, but it always ends up being one of the worst ones. So maybe it's kind of the same thing with the uh, escape the room designs. The other good piece of feedback that we received was one gentleman who actually teaches pretty close to us in Flemington, you know, said that he's a tech coach and he's split between two buildings and he has a very easy time getting people to buy into these activities in one building and not some, you know, easy of a time in the other. So one of the suggestions that I gave him is just to start walking around during people's hall duties or uh, lunch in the uh, faculty lounge if it's okay to talk shop in there. Some rules are different, but just stop in and have a conversation to see what they're working on and try to prove the concept a little bit. So I I think that was a great side conversation that we had as well. Yeah, that was cool. I I was listening to you guys a little bit. And and while that was going on, I think this might have been with the same person who gave me the earlier idea. But just another idea that came up somewhere along the way was, um, and if any of our listeners don't know, for a a bunch of our escape the room ideas or puzzle challenges, we've actually posted on our Facebook page, I believe, and and possibly on the website coming soon, uh, some directions and how-to videos on how to create these things. But that's all for our digital escape the rooms that students kind of work through using the Google platform. So that's out there. It's been created and is available for people. But what we don't have are resources for the physical challenges where they're not on a computer, but they're actually manipulating locks and boxes in real life. Uh, So someone had the idea also of maybe posting videos of those puzzles, how to create them and even how to solve them. I'm not sure if that's feasible for us. But again, it was just kind of an interesting application and something that at least I've never thought about before. So if nothing else so far today we've gotten some pretty creative ideas yeah i mean just that one alone it kind of gives us some creativity in the fact that we could bring these challenges and we could just post them for other teachers to complete maybe that could spark some interest in incorporating these types of activities into their own classrooms and that was another piece of feedback that we got that they wish that we can challenge them through the internet right like they they said that you know the one lady said that she likes to do sudoku puzzles on sunday mornings where she would gladly switch that time for some online PD where she is the student being taught by someone on the other end of the internet. Yeah, that's another cool idea. And hopefully over the next uh, couple segments, we'll bring you guys some more exciting new things from and inspired by the NJECC annual conference.
So we had the pleasure of presenting right after the keynote speaker at the NJECC conference, uh, but we got there early because it was a little bit of a distance between the keynote and our classroom, so we wanted to check out the technology situation and all that stuff. And I might, I have to add here, we've done a lot of conferences and this one as far as technology, setting up the audio, the presentation, everything, this was seamless. Incredible. Whenever I, I was the one doing all the tech setup today, which is actually not how we normally do it, but whenever it's up to me and I start trying to plug in the computer and set up, like you said, the audio, the video, all the different components, my anxiety starts to go through the roof because almost always there's problems at the New Jersey State Science Convention, and this is definitely not a knock on, on them. It was just a fluke of the moment, but there was an issue getting the, you know, all the full image of the Google slide actually being projected. It was kind of cut off halfway and you're trying to get different people in to help you out. There's always something like that and you're prepared for that, but it always makes me a little bit nervous. This is probably the first time it's ever been so flawless. So whether kudos to Montclair State University where we're located today or just NJECC for doing such an amazing job with uh, with uh, the tech and making it so great for everyone to get Wi-Fi access and, and use the facilities with, with ease. A lot of times people don't present unless they know that the tech is down at these conferences and I will tell you that this was amazing. Well they actually had, this is the first time this has happened, even though everything was so easy, we did it totally on our own, they actually had a representative come around and ask us specifically uh, if we needed any help and just to let us know that she was there and where to find her if we did need help, which is was just like the icing on the cake for us. So that part has been really, really nice as well. So we, we got there early. We got set up early. Uh, usually we give ourselves like 20, 25 minutes to set up and we had somebody stop by and we just started talking with them and they were done setting up and and we got to talking about collecting data from our students about what they like about technology or what tech tools they like to use and and this particular tech coach said that other than Kahoot I couldn't tell you exactly what their interests are and that's once again that's not a knock on anybody but sometimes we just don't think about to to stop and ask our students you know how do they like to learn what do they I mean a lot of times we have a pretty good idea but to actually actually sit down and have that that talk and I could think of a couple times throughout the school year that it would be a good time to do that reflection like the half day right before a holiday break yep. where the kids are off the wall anyway you're not going to get a lot of productive stuff done we could do it then and uh we just started firing ideas across and, and we're like well why why don't we just talk to our students so we're thinking to ourselves we're brainstorming some ideas about how we can get this information yeah i mean students definitely i think another problem with with this is at least from a teacher perspective, you might not always even think about the fact that your students do have opinions about what they like to learn and, and more importantly for us, how they like to learn it. And definitely technology is a part of that. So we uh, we think that a cool idea for Got Tech the Podcast and maybe the next couple episodes would be to start incorporating this into the podcast episodes where we track down some students, get them on the show so that they can share their opinions and thoughts about a lot of the stuff we all know and use anyway, but just get the student perspective on those things rather than the teacher perspective, which is definitely really important, but a different side might actually give us some really great ideas as well. Yeah, I think I think this is great. I think uh, last year we had one episode where we got two students on the podcast and yep. they talked a little bit, but we didn't really dive too deeply into, you know, student personal interests. And I think this is a great opportunity to just shed a little bit more light on maybe some of the aspects of learning from the student's 
point of view. Yeah, I would love to get a little bit deeper. I know when we brought those last two students in, we just kind of generally asked them, I think like what tech they enjoy, what they don't, but maybe if we even kind of prep the kids ahead of time and sort of let them know some of the things we were going to talk about, they could really think about it and give us some deeper feedback. I think that might be really valuable for teachers to hear. I know it would be for me. Uh, So that's another cool thing that came out of today is maybe in future episodes, getting to hear some of the student perspective on the ed tech we, we know and we use every day. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at we got teched. So still here at the NJECC, Geis and I were just enjoying some of the uh, fantastic lunch provided by uh, the good people here. And as we were kind of sitting there and trying to get to know and talk to some different people, we overheard an interesting conversation and kind of invited ourselves to be part of it, dealing with something that is new to me. Although, Geis, you said you had heard of this before, but it was totally my first time uh, hearing of this thing. There's a current trend in education supposedly with something known as a genius hour and it kind of fit in with a lot of the stuff that Got Tech talks about. Uh, personalized student-centered learning. Technology is going to be a big part of this. Uh, so we thought it'd be cool to bring this to one of our segments in this NJECC inspired episode and kind of let you guys know what genius hours are and what they're all about. I'll start off with a general description of what it is in case, it, in case it's new to anybody listening and then we'll get into some of the details about like pros and cons, maybe what they're good for, not so good for. And guys, you can tell me if I've got any of this wrong, but from our conversation just a bit ago, it sounds to me like a genius hour is really just dedicated class time as for some preset amount of time. I th- obviously, it must have started with maybe like an hour of time once a week or once every month or whatever the teacher decides. And it's completely unstructured. And the only requirement is that students must research, explore, test something, some topic that they are curious in. So it really kind of lets them use their own interests, their own background knowledge to investigate or do really whatever they want. Some kind of passion-based learning. Um, this brings in, obviously, it's, com- it's like fully student-centered, a lot of inquiry, especially if they're asking their own questions and trying to learn about something of their choosing, and a super autonomous for the students too, because they're sort of just working on their own to do something during that amount of time during the genius hour. What do you, how was my description there? It was pretty good. I mean, you nailed the student-centered piece. They get to work on something that they are interested in, but also I could see this play into every subject. I know we had an English teacher here at our high school that did a genius hour. Okay. Okay, and and their genius hour was tailored towards writing. Didn't matter what type or style of writing. It just had to be something that they wanted to do, whether it was make a comic book or make a little kid's book or poetry book. It didn't matter. They just had to work towards something. And I know that the time allotted was every Friday. Now, we have a rotating drop schedule, so uh, sometimes it would meet on Friday, and the next week it wouldn't meet on Friday because they dropped that period. So it's one, two, three times a month. Uh, they had an hour the whole period. Our periods are 57 minutes, 58 minutes, so it's close enough. But yeah, student-centered, it's open-minded. 
But there has to be some way of accountability. So a lot of people do reflection pieces. At the end of the 60 minutes, they have to say, this is what I worked on. This is what I got out of it. This is where I'm going. There has to be some type of organization. And what this does is it really promotes learning outside of the classroom, too. Because if they're interested in it, they're not going to let that hang for a week or two weeks, depending on, you know, the set amount of time. So Okay. So I get it kind of sounds like it's built off this sort of idea that, you know, if you give your students, they're just people with their own interests and passions. And if maybe you, you just sort of, as a teacher, got out of the way and gave them time dedicated to this exploration of whatever they're interested in, obviously within the guidelines of your class, like if I was going to do it, I would keep it to, you know, maybe it has to be something chemistry themed, uh, but then you just sort of let them go and devote that time, then maybe, you know, they really come up with something that's personal and compelling and, and super powerful and hopefully learning in the process. One thing I really like about the Genius Hours, it gives another avenue for different types of students to shine. For example, you might not have someone that is academically gifted in chemistry. However, they're academically gifted in music. So how can they make something that is music-based because they have an interest in that and bring the chemistry content into there? So maybe they're making some type of a animation, presentation, something, using their strengths to help propel their weaknesses. So okay. I think that's kind of cool. Just being able to allow students to shine in different ways. And that might bring, that might aid with, uh, you know, confidence, which could definitely help in the classroom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I totally see that confidence for sure. If kid, you know, if they're kind of given the chance to shine and investigate what they're interested in. I just, looking around as you were talking, I just came across a list of things that a genius hour is not, which I think is sometimes a, a fun way to explore kind of understanding something new is talking about what it definitely is not. And some of the, I won't read them all, but just some of the things that caught my eye on this list is uh, standards-based. The Genius Hours, not standards-based at all. Data-driven, free time for students, I thought is key. And kind of links back to something you said earlier, just to clarify that, you know, your students, if you're going to do something like this, they have to know that there must be an expectation of a product or of some productivity in some form, because it's definitely not supposed to just be free time. It's also not without rules or expectations. You know, before you start something like this, it probably would be extra important to kind of set some boundaries about what's acceptable and what's not. So it's sort of hopefully during that time covering that this is definitely not free time, like you have to do and, and work and produce something at the end. It also lists um, less rigorous. So I think to a lot of teachers, this might sound like, well, what do you mean? You just let the kids do whatever they want and hang out for that time? And kind of, but emphasis on the fact that this should actually, you know, be more rigorous than other classwork because the kids are actually doing something that they're, you know, that they're interested in. So they frequently will end up working harder towards that than they would for something that you just tell them, okay, here's a worksheet, do this. So one of my concerns about the Genius Hour, and this has always been my concern, all right, teachers' time is very limited. Free time is very limited. And if students are doing all these passion projects in different avenues, well, those resources that the teachers need to deliver to these students is going to be different for each project. So that's just more resources, more back-end investigative work for the teacher. And I feel like that is something that we do need to have a plan for if, if a school is going to implement these genius hours, how are we going to deal with the resource 
piece of it. I mean, that is a big one. Uh, I think another one is also stress. Okay, it's 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 requiring your teachers to learn a new skill that may or may not be actually a part of their content that they're teaching students. And on the other hand, you have students that are accustomed to working a certain way. All right, there you have students that are accustomed to working and learning a certain way. So there's a path already designed for them. All right, for those students, how is that going to impact their learning? How is that going to stress them out? However, I think sometimes when we bring stress on to ourselves, I think it's a good thing because it teaches us to work through tough situations, which we're going to face in life all the time. And I think that's part of it. So just reflecting a little bit, I think there are some cons to this, but I think those cons could be easily spun into a positive if you look at it in a different way. Yeah, there's lots of ups and downs with this. Like you said, the stress for the students could be a, a negative for sure, but that's also a positive because, yeah, they learn to think a different way and work through some different types of problems than they normally face, which is great. Something else that came up during lunch with this was um, you know, the grading piece because it is still school and we do still have to report on students' progress somehow. Uh, so there's just, from the teacher's end, a lot of kind of work behind the scenes, I should say, that goes into deciding, well, how are we going to grade this, especially if it's not based on any kind of data? You're not supposed to, like, formally test them during this time. Uh, so you really have to think about maybe what rubrics am I going to use or maybe like a checklist of expectations or, or whatever it is. You need to put a lot of thought into that before you even introduce this to your class. So that's something else uh, teachers would need to think about. Just going with that you also have to communicate these practices to the parents too you have to educate them on how exactly this is going to tie in to a your content grade so your course grade and b how are you going to grade these individual projects i think you you nailed it on the head right there with you know expectation checklists and things like that. It's supposed to be something that is fun for the students, but at the same time, accountability is is a big piece. Otherwise, what's going to stop the students from doing other work during that genius hour or putting their head down or playing games on one of their one-to-one devices or phones? So we need to establish some type of law in the classroom, some type of flow in the classroom. So I think that's also very important. Yeah, well, that's like we said earlier, I guess you kind of just have to make sure those expectations are clear. And for sure, there's going to be kids that try to do that kind of stuff if they think it's just free time which it definitely is not, but you just got to sort of jump on that right away. All this being said, I, this, it is intriguing to me because I just think about so many of the students I see and they do they do have so many interests and so many questions and a lot of times we kind of ignore that or bypass it, not because we want to, but just due to lack of time. So it does sound kind of cool to literally open the door and open up your class time and sort of just see what they come up with as long as the, like we just said, the boundaries are clearly defined and everybody knows uh, kind of what to expect from this. So it's definitely something interesting to think about. Nick, we are coming up on a year, and I, we just realized this because uh, our calendars were out. We were trying to figure out when our next podcast recording was going to uh, fall, and we have a lot of stuff going on over the next couple of weeks, so we always like to pre-plan these, maybe collaborate on a Google Doc, get a couple topics out, see what's inspiring us at this point in time during the week, 
It's just a list, a long list, and then we kind of narrow it down. We have an episode. Do you realize how insane it is? I just, looking at the number, this is episode 24. That means at episode 26, because we have released an episode every two weeks religiously for a year. That means episode 26. So just two episodes from now, like you said, will be one year of the podcast. I can't believe that we haven't missed once. I think there was one we released on a Tuesday. But out of a whole year, that's crazy. I can't think of anything I've done in a long time on that tight of a schedule. But I'm really proud of it and it's exciting that we're coming up on this benchmark so as we look back on the past year there are things that we have to that we reflected on and we noticed some areas that we want to improve and uh, we want to share with everybody because we want you guys to see the progress as we make it so one of the first things is our website we've pretty much just thrown up a podcast in the form of a blog and the audio recording up there, but we want it to be a little bit uh, more organized and a little bit better looking. And and the good news is is we have some help on this and we're not going to kind of go into any more detail until that one year mark, because I I have a feeling that's going to play into our one year show. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. We'll have more info on how we updated the website coming soon but needless to say we're very thankful to have someone helping us behind the scenes on that so that's really exciting i think we're going to start at the one year mark changing up some of the segments we do maybe transition our tech battles into something else something new and exciting just to keep you know, keep us entertained but keep all you guys enter- entertained for listening as well and i think it'd be kind of fun to issue kind of both of us maybe a challenge going into the going into year two of got tech and i know one thing we've talked about back and forth is trying to get more guests on both students and other people in the ed tech or just education world. So I think it might be kind of a fun challenge if each of us, I don't know, let's just say by the beginning of March, so that'll give us a few weeks of the new uh, new year of the podcast, if each of us sets up one new guest to bring in an upcoming episode. And then based on our guest, uh, what's our competition? You oh. can't take the competition away from me, man. Yeah, actually, I don't know, I can't make fun of you for this one because I think that would actually be kind of cool. Maybe, well, we can't pick the better guest because that would be rude to our guests no but what we could do is we could do our tech battles right and have uh the guest take your place okay so sort of argue with the sort of like we do with kyle kyle namus yeah but instead of him taking your place if it's your guest they take my place oh. and you and your guests have to go at it that's actually a great idea i think it'd be really fun i'm gonna allow it yeah you know that's a that's a point of order i wanted to make uh i believe competition has a good place in in our realm right now. Agreed. I think it's a great idea. So by March, we'll each bring in one new guest to have in the uh, the tech battles for those guests will be replaced with uh, the guests themselves arguing as Geis or I. That's kind of cool. All right. So I guess this wraps up our episode so remember to go out and find us on the internet at gottech.com or follow us on twitter at we got tech thanks for listening until next time